This is Miami Total Football Radio, and we finally have actual soccer to talk about. Inter-Miami kicking off the MLS is back tournament against Orlando City, the Sunshine Classic, as it's known on this podcast. But not before a stunning moment of silence took place, a silent protest in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. And as a tribute to George Floyd, reminiscent of the gloved fist protest by John Carlos and Tommy Smith at the 1968 Olympics. It was organized by MLS's Black Players for Change Coalition, and it will certainly go down in sports history, much like the 1968 protest. I'm Eric Krakauer, joined by Franco Panizo. Franco, you were chomping at the bit for this tournament to start, and you have been busy writing about it. Yeah, finally, at long last, we have soccer again we have football again and there is plenty to talk about after yesterday's two to one loss in miami fell at the hands of orlando city in the first edition of uh is the sunshine classico el clasico del sol lots to talk about before we get into the minutiae of the game was there anything that caught your attention about the game itself um you know the first game back uh, everybody's very excited to actually see some U.S.-based soccer. But was there anything that, for you, was worthy of attention? Uh, I, there was some rust, obviously. You expected there to be some some rust. But I didn't think there was as much as as maybe I thought. I think there was actually some decent spells of, of okay soccer, um, all things considered. And I think that's a positive takeaway cause, because it should only get better as you know, as the players get physically uh, get into better levels and as they get their sharpness back. So I thought it was a decent, decent starting point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'll also note that it was great to listen to the players bark at each other in different languages. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about having soccer back, and I know that we have a lot of fake crowd noise uh, in m- most leagues, but I've enjoyed listening to the players. I enjoy the sounds uh, of the ball being kicked. It, it reminds me of uh, my first days covering uh, soccer, uh, mostly preseason soccer in Portugal and then here in in the U.S. So um, I enjoyed that uh, a lot. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. No, it's funny you say that because I was actually just looking at a tweet before we, we started this and it was from a supporter um, talking about the fact that there is no fake crowd noise and, and the reasons behind that. And, you know, their tweet, one part of their tweet was like, you should assess how much you really love the sport if you can't watch it without crowd noise or without, you know, artificial or with artificial noise not not being present when there's no fans in the stand and i, I kind of agree with that i mean it, the, the love for the game is you know you love the sport and like i like you said i really really enjoyed hearing the players bark at each other and the instructions being shouted and all everything that you could hear over the course of the 90 minutes um obviously once fans can get back in there and you can hear the the crowds rocking again that'll be fantastic but for now i have no problem zero problem with listening to the games as they are as they're happening in, in real life yeah l- listen i i mean i i think that assessment is a little bit harsh on the part of the person who wrote that tweet but i can understand the sentiment behind it uh and i definitely agree that you should be able to enjoy these games without crowd noise although i have to admit that as somebody who calls games for for a living uh it is much easier even with the uh fake noise being 
infused into into the call because it really helps with the pathos of the game. It helps with the way that you uh, utter the words that you are uttering in the moment, and it makes you a lot less self-aware of what it is that you are saying. But anyway, enough about that. Uh, Let's actually get to the game itself. So let's get to it. Okay, let's talk about what happened on the field of play. Inter-Miami drew first blood. Juan Agudelo tapping in a Victor Ulloa cross, a nice bit of play from Inter-Miami. His goal was canceled out by Chris Mueller, who put a finishing touch to Nani's square ball. The former Portuguese international would then add the killer blow at the 97th minute. In between those goals, there were a couple of opportunities that went each way. Agudelo missing a sitter. Maybe a little harsh. And Mueller forcing a very good save from Luis Robles. There was also a very unfortunate and unsettling injury to Andres Reyes. I think that what was stunning about that was the amount of time it took to get uh, medical staff uh, or the stretcher actually on the pitch with Agudelo actually helping out. At one moment, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Let's just go through the 11. Robles, the captain, started in between the sticks. A back three of Nico Figal, Andres Reyes, and Ben Sweat. That was perhaps the surprise inclusion. A left back as a center back, although, as Franco will tell you, he's played in that position before. Dylan Nielis was the right wing back. Mikey Ambrose was on the opposite side. Victor Ulloa and Will Trapp played in the double pivot. Matias Pellegrini and Wes Morgan played behind Juan Ogudelo, the goal scorer. Franco, let's start with an overall impression uh, of this game before we sort of drill down on the minutia. What did you think? Well, first I'm going to say, how much phlegm did you just uh, hawk up there when you said Andrejas the, f- the first time you mentioned his name? Um, <laughs> uh, no, just, uh, over the course of the 90 minutes, if we're going to be honest and, and real and assess the game or I'm going to assess the game how I how I saw it. I don't think Inter Miami had a very good game. First half they were completely up. They were they were just looked disjointed. Couldn't play through Orlando City's effective pressure and just didn't have much much to 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 the to their to their attack and to their game. There was that one play like you mentioned that uh, Matias Pellegrini delivers a great ball that deserved a better finish from Juan Agadello. But aside from that, there just wasn't much to Inter-Miami in that first half. Now in the second half, they start combining a little more. They start playing a little bit better. And they get the goal. They continue to play well, moving the ball, combining. You know, inter- There was some good interplay between- on-, on-, on the right side. But then obviously the injury to Andres Reyes happens and that kind of affects the game, which we can get into a little bit later. There was some harsh words, not harsh words, but choice words for the officiating of, of head referee Rubiel Vasquez, who, who uh, in case you know you weren't aware, didn't know, he was also the head ref in the Week 2 matchup against DC United. So um, plenty, plenty to talk about with regards to, to the officiating. But over the course of the nine minutes, we're just talking about Inter Miami's performance. I don't think uh, uh, it was that that convincing, and there's plenty of room for them to to improve. Well, let's start at the at the beginning and deal with the game chronologically. The thing that stuck in my mind in the beginning was how confusing uh, Miami's build up was, or attempts at building 
because it's almost like they had too many players out wide and nobody centrally in front of Uyoa and Will Trap, and that really uh, 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 hindered them significantly and pretty much played into the pressing that was displayed by Orlando, which was quite effective in the first 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, having said that, that opportunity that fell to Juan Agudelo came uh, against the, the run of play. Uh, Pellegrini, who at times was playing centrally, found space on the left and puts in a really good good ball. I said that it was a sitter, um, perhaps a little bit harder than that because I think it takes a little bit of a bounce before it gets to Agudelo, but he certainly should be putting that on frame. But to me, the, the biggest issue was there was nobody in the holes, that, mm-hmm. that position that... Pizarro would occupy right so so just to so that anybody that's maybe wondering or, or we didn't mention Rodolfo Pizarro or you didn't mention Rodolfo Pizarro in the starting lineup he did not start the official reason we were given is coach's decision however the more thorough explanation is he apparently picked up an injury uh days before the 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 this opener this first game he recovered in time to play, but there was concern about whether he would risk aggravating it if he came into this through the start, because the expectation was that it would be a very intense game with potentially a lot of hard fouls. So that's the reason he didn't start. And I agree with you that Inter Miami's game plan and Diego Alonso's game plan, which is something I want to touch on in detail and on this on this episode. I don't think it was a very good one. And it's not just in hindsight. It's just because without Pizarro in the lineup, obviously he, he they looked they were just looking for for to attack down the wings. They looked they were playing with, you know, the, the three center backs and the two wing backs, but the two wing backs are even though they get forward, they're still defensive minded players. They're more defensive minded than they are creative. Then you have two center midfielders, but they're both holding midfielders, and then you had Pellegrini and Lewis Morgan on the wings. They are attacking players, clearly, and Agudelo up top. But like you said, there was nobody in the hole, and all Inter Miami was looking to do, apparently, was just go find space down the wings and whipping balls to Agudelo, who, again, we, this is something else we can talk about. He's not a pure number nine. He's not a traditional number nine. There's very few and far between that you found him in the box on the end of things. I just don't think the game plan worked. I don't think it it was it, it helped Miami and played it to play to its strengths and and to play good soccer, which we didn't see much of over the course of the ninety minutes. Again, there was that spell early on in the second half. It produces a goal. Inter Miami needed more of that. Needed more interplay. Needed more combinations. And you didn't see that until it was late when the subs came in and tried to make things happen a little bit. But yeah, it it was it was a confusing, disjointed performance, particularly in that first half. Yeah, and it played into as I noted before. It played into the press that that Orlando was going with because without somebody in the hole, they could really uh, push up against Will Trapp and Ulloa so they couldn't get the ball and that forced Inter-Miami to play long very often. I think I, I think I sort of understood what it was that Diego Alonso was trying to do. He wanted to create more than three uh, passing channels, if you will, because even though Pellegrini and Wes Morgan were playing wide, they were playing slightly more centrally than the wing backs and that would occupy the half spaces on the field but it just never seemed to actually uh, translate into that and so very often particularly when Pellegrini had the ball down the middle there was a lot of indecision 
in transition, and I think that's what really cost Inter uh, Miami. Uh, first half, there, that opportunity that fell to Juan Agudelo, and then there was a really good play uh, down the left-hand side. A ball slipped through to Chris Mueller, and he tries to put it far post. That save by Robles was was pretty fantastic, and we've seen one of those in each one of Inter Miami's first three games. Yeah, Robles Robles did well uh, on that play. Think he again. We'll get to it. Think he could have done better on on the equalizing goal. Um, defensively, I thought Inter Miami held up pretty well, especially when Ander Reyes was on the field. Once he came off with that that scary injury, things changed a bit. For for Inter Miami, they had to put Victor Ulloa back there, and you know the the, the whole complexion kind of ch- kind of changed a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, just going just going back to to the point of of the game plan and, and the personnel used, I just don't think Diego Alonso's idea worked for what he had out there. And I, I think he would have been better off. You know, Rodolfo Pizarro is not starting. Okay, understood. He's he's recovering. You know, maybe he's not a hundred percent. That's completely understandable. But then. To go with so many players on the field that are so defensive-minded, again, you have three center backs, two wing backs, and two holding midfielders. That gives you three three attackers, but that that can create and that can generate things in the final third. But that's just three players. The other, I mean, the other players are still more defensive-minded players. I think starting Lee Win would have instead of one of Will Trapp or Victor Yoa would have helped Inter Miami be able to keep the ball a little bit more, play through Orlando's press because. Will Trapp and Victor Yo aren't aren't necessarily those type of players. Now, are they more technical players than other holding midfielders? And I'm not sure, but they're not necessarily players that play through the lines. And uh, again, man, I, I I think Diego Alonso kind of kind of messed this one up, man. I think from the start, Inter Miami was kind of was kind of playing uh, shorthanded. It was it was a little aimless. Although I'm going to disagree a little bit. I think that. You know, the intention of having somebody like Uyoa next to Will Trap is to release Will Trap of his defensive duties a little bit. And I think part of that uh, or part of the plan is also to have three center backs for that exact uh, reason. Will Trap is a guy who is better with the ball at his feet than he is without it, right? His defensive uh, fragilities may be a little harsh, but have been noted time and again, particularly when he's playing with the U.S. National, but, but but he's still but he's still seen as a as a number six. He's not a box to box midfielder. No, he's no absolutely he's a number six, but he's a deep lying playmaker as opposed to someone like Victor Oyola who but, can but, really mix it up physically. But is he is he a playmaker? Because I, I don't I don't really see Will Trap pinging long balls from you know from one side to the field to the other. He just he's kind of a distributor. He just helps move the ball forward, but he needs somebody next to him that can also help him with that and I don't I don't think him and Uyoa are, are working as a partnership I just don't I, I think they're I think they're too similar and look Uyoa in in the games that we've seen or that I've seen so far these three first three games I think Uyoa is the player that's more capable of jumping into the attack and and either taking shots I think it was against LAFC that he took a couple of shots from from far out um and then this one obviously he makes that that great incisive run early in the second half into a position that maybe he wasn't supposed to go to, but he just saw the space and he took it because he, he collides into a player on, on his way into that space. And then he unleash, unleashes a great low ball for Agadello to, to push home. So I, I think Yo is the more uh, uh, capable player in terms of... Well, he's the, the more... Sorry, he's the more up and down player out of the two. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to play with uh, two midfielders uh, without anybody in the hole, 
and you're playing with three center backs and, and, and two wing backs, you're going to need somebody to make those runs, those vertical runs into the box. Those runs were no non-existent in the first half. The first time that Uyoya, Uyoya does it and he attacks the half space, it creates a goal. So I think that you're right. That movement that Uyoya presented is the kind of movement that I don't think Will Trapp is, is too comfortable with. And I think your initial assessment that including Lee Wynn in the 11 is a good one. I'm just not sure I would take either one of those guys out. I think I would do either without uh, Pellegrini uh, or, or Morgan. And of course, maybe you lose a little bit of width, but you still have uh, Mikey Ambrose on the left and and Nilas on the right, who are supposed to add that width. That's why this system is employed. And I think there was a little bit of of a uh, uh, there, there were perhaps too many players who were designated to play similar roles. Pellegrini and Morgan also wide players, although they had a little bit of more liberty to come in centrally. I also thought that Agudelo in 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 the first few minutes, first twenty minutes. Uh, of the game didn't check into the midfield too often to to make up for the fact that there wasn't that player in in the hole and when he did that things did open up for uh, Morgan on the right and Pellegrini a little bit on, on the left but but there was certainly as you noted an imbalance there yeah I mean look and I'll just say this so we don't harp or stay on on just one area of the field but Look, if if you're gonna stick with Uyoa and Trap, and that's gonna be your 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 two central midfielders, or you know, in front of the in front of the back line, then you're n- you're not necessarily looking to play the most aggressive brand of soccer because again, they're not necessarily the most creative guys. So, if that's who you want to who you want to go with, then maybe you're looking at a more defensive minded approach. And I, I understand Diego Alonso wants his teams to be. Uh, tough and and hard to play against and that they scrap and that they are defensively organized but if that's going to come at the cost of of some attacking edge then i mean i'm not i'm not sure i agree with that especially given how they said they want to play and um you know it's clear that they it's clear that they need attacking help and that they need they need they need more another at least another signing in in that part of the field and they've talked about that they've mentioned that um, but they, the, over the course of these three games, and obviously there's been a long layoff between the second and the third, but in those three games, it's been clear Inter-Miami needs a little more punch in the attack. And Rodolfo Pizarro is capable of providing that, but only to a certain extent. He need He's going to need help if Inter-Miami is going to be the, the team that they want to be. Let's talk about the injury real quick. I actually texted you. You and I were texting uh, quite frequently while the game was going on, and I actually had texted you and mentioned that Dom Dwyer was playing a very physical uh, game and, you know, just outside of the uh, margins of the law uh, or the or the legal boundaries of, of the game. There was a, a late challenge, a couple of late challenges on Figal, uh, particularly early on in the game. And I also want to focus on Figal in a little bit. And, and then there was a late challenge on Andres Reyes, um, all very late, uh, all fouls. I think he should have been carded for at least one of those. He wasn't. And later on, uh, early in the second half, he is trying to shield the ball, uh, trying to body off Andres Reyes. He lifts his elbow and makes contact with the Colombian center back's throat. Uh, he goes to ground, seems to be having difficulty breathing, uh, and ultimately has to be stretchered off. Now, I don't think given what we saw earlier in the game, that that particular circumstance, that particular moment where he strikes 
uh, Reyes was was dirty. I think his elbow was a little bit high, but I think he's just trying to shield the ball as opposed to the other uh, situations that I just delineated. Yeah, no, you agree? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you that I don't think there was that much malintent or any desire to hurt Andres Reyes on that play. I think he he just put his arms up as is normal in, in, in football and in soccer to, to try to shield yourself from your opponent, give create more space for yourself to, to keep the ball, and he caught him, you know, with a stray arm. Now, why it comes off so bad in in a lot of people's eyes, in my opinion, is because of all the stuff that led up to that moment. There were a lot of fouls uh, or a handful of fouls that Dwyer had in in that first half that were either late or that could be considered uh, kind of cheap shots. There was one with Andres Reyes where he cl- collides into him from the back as Reyes had already won position to head the ball. Reyes goes tumbling to the ground. It, he was holding his knee, and, and um, it looked like at, at one point, for at least for a few seconds, that you know Reyes might have done some serious damage to his knee, but he got up, continued the game. There was also a collision or two with, with Nicolas Figal, uh, on Dwyer's part, and I remember, you know, yesterday watching the game, and I, re- I rewatched the game as I do uh, every every match that I cover in depth. You know, during the whole discussion in between the sides, as Reyes is getting tended to, Nicolas Figal's like, what's you know, like essentially gesturing and saying, you know, what's your problem, man? Like, why, you know, you've done it once, twice. Like, what's what's up with you? But you mentioned this uh, last week, I think, before we started the the last week's pod. Dom Dwyer is a master of the dark arts, and he is a player that's physical, and that's part of his game. So this was somewhat expected, and this is where Inter-Miami was upset, and this is what, you know, me and you have covered Luis Robles a long time, and he's always been very positive in terms of how, how he responds to, to questions, even tough questions. He's very, very professional. This very was this very thoughtful. This was the one time I think I've ever seen him criticize a ref after a game publicly. I've, I don't think I've ever seen or I don't remember Luis Robles ever being this critical about a ref after a match. And he essentially said that he put the whole situation with Dom Dwyer and Andres Reyes on the that happened in the injury on Rubiel Vasquez and his lack of you know giving Dom Dwyer a yellow card in that first lack half. Of control. Yeah. So like. And I, 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 again, I don't think Dom Dwyer was intentionally looking to hurt Andres Reyes on the play that he actually gets hurt on. But I think if if he had maybe been booked in the first half, maybe he's not playing so loosely or as freely as he as as he was because obviously now he's on a booking and he's got to control himself a little bit more. And I think that's where Inter Miami had some some frustration. Obviously, they gave up a late goal and they they give up a game late or they just give up a lead again, but. I think it was a, a combination of things that led to, to, to that frustration and that that uh, that sour taste that they had after the match. But I, I do agree that, that Dom Dwyer should have had a yellow uh, in the first half. His, the, the, the fouls he, he got away with were were a little uh, a little ridiculous. But I mean that's 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 the sport. Um, you know, thankfully Andres Reyes. It was it was announced today by the team. He's he's doing okay. He's back in the bubble. He was released from the from the hospital. Doesn't seem to be a, an injury of severity. He's in isolation right now, and he will be until he's cleared to to get back into into the group after he receives, I guess, a couple of negative uh, COVID, tests. COVID tests. So uh, yeah. that's good news on, on that part. 
And I, I mentioned uh, as we were about to talk about that that the first challenges, uh, Dwyer's first challenges, were on Nico Figal, who I think so far, along with Pizarro, is the standout player for Inter Miami. Uh, we saw all his qualities on display. He reads the game well. He's a tough tackler. And he made a couple of passes, one of them a pinpoint 30-yard pass uh, from the right to find uh, Mikey Ambrose or Pellegrini on the left-hand side. I think it was Pellegrini, actually. This guy is a very, very complete player, and I think in time will prove to be one of the elite center backs uh, in the league. Yeah, I think he had another fairly solid game. There were a couple moments that he didn't look as... Where he he made some some interesting decisions, and I think out of the three games that they've played to to date, I think this was his his weakest one. I don't want to sound overly negative, but I think out of the three matches he's played, the first two were were better um, by by a margin. So uh, he obviously had a, a a part to play in the game winning goal. The ball ricochets off of him because he's not looking at the ball at all. He's just focused on his man and has his back to to the play. And it and it falls to to Nani, which hey, I have to give you credit. You predicted Nani would score. He scored, so you were right about that. Um, yeah, completely different, completely completely different second half. And he was not looking at the ball. He was looking at Akindeli, mm-hmm. and that's what allows uh, the ball to bounce, or that's what uh, leads to the ball bouncing off his back and landing at the feet uh, of Nani. Well, let's talk about the the, the goals real quick. Mm-hmm. And a player who I thought had a pretty decent uh, first half was uh, Nealis, uh, Dylan Nealis on the right. He tried to get involved in the attacks when they were in the in the final third. He did a lot of running, but he looked very poor um, in in both goals conceded. The first one completely outpaced by Nani, who is uh, what twelve years older <laughs> than 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 Nealis and never. It's like you versus me. <laughs> yes, exactly. I play the role of Nani in this uh, situation, and uh, and then Nealis is not only bamboozled by Nani for the second goal because Nani sort of drops his shoulder and goes one way, but Nealis stops running, never tracks Nani, yeah. and that is why he's wide open. Yes, the ball does bounce off of Figal, but had Nealis been on top of Nani, even though he he slap shots it very quickly, I don't think. That ball would have actually gotten to him, it may not have gotten to him, or at least he could have gotten uh, a block. So not a good look for Nealis, even though I thought he had a pretty decent first half. Yeah, I'll just quickly say that <clears throat> I thought this is, you know, this is kind of the opposite of, of you know, the, most of the players that we've talked about to this point. I thought Nealis had a very overall good 90 minutes. He started out really well. He faded and finished very poorly. I think. If you get you know if, if we had to break it down, I think he had seventy very solid minutes. He played a part in in the build up to to enter Miami's goal by by bringing the ball inside. And again, the first seventy minutes were probably very good for him. The last twenty were or the last twenty and change because there was a lot of stoppage time. There was a tr- very very poor, and maybe it was a case of heavy legs. Obviously, they don't have necessarily have peak fitness at, right now given the long layoff. Maybe that played a part. But yeah, he was he was involved in giving up both of those goals so obviously if when that, then when you put it all in the balance he, he didn't have the greatest games um but yeah man it, it was tough I, and i think that second goal just just to quickly touch on that the the game winner he doesn't i, I he's definitely he definitely should attract 90 100 um 
But maybe, I think maybe part of it is that he expected the third center back, which at that point was Victor Ulloa, to pick him up. Victor Ulloa, when you watch the replay of that goal, is kind of in no man's land off off to the to the side instead of occupying that space in the middle where Nani ends up finding the ball. So I think both of them shoulder some blame there. Um, but Ulloa, again, is not a center back. He's playing there in a pinch given the situation. Nilas has to, has to do a better job of tracking his runner. Um, and that, that ended up being the difference right there. That, that play gave Orlando city the, the, the three points and the first win in the sunshine classical. Yeah. And look, it's much easier to track your runner than it is to pass off, uh, the, the player that you, you are marking, particularly in a situation like that at the, at the tail end or dying embers of the game. So mostly on Nealis, I would say, um, but again, you know, I spoke to somebody who covers, uh, inter Miami, earlier today and he was quite critical of Nealis but I did say look Nani was a bit of a non-factor in the first half even when Orlando had more of the ball and that was in part due to Nealis's defending. Um, Nealis completely took him out of the game for again for the first 70 minutes after after that Nani turned on the Jets or used his experience and took advantage of maybe some tired legs or um, you know uh, Nealis is inexperienced, but uh, again, yeah, you're right. I think the seven, first 70 minutes, Nealis was, was on point. The last 20 minutes, not so much. All in all, Inter-Miami still showing some growing pains, and uh, it's going to be painful for the supporters that the very first Sunshine Classico uh, between these teams was won by Orlando City. Nani, the difference maker in the end, and now more pressure on Inter-Miami on the two remaining games they need at least a win and a draw to move through to the knockout stages let's uh move on and preview that next game which is against the philadelphia union Before we actually preview Inter-Miami's second game of the group against Philadelphia, uh, let's go over the shifting scenario or the now shifted scenario of the group stage because FC Dallas was forced to withdraw from the tournament due to um, positive COVID tests. That was before the tournament actually kicked off. And Nashville is now the second team uh, forced to withdraw because of their own positive tests and what that does is it makes group a smaller now only four teams in group a which are orlando miami nycfc and philadelphia chicago who was in group a slots in into group b with seattle vancouver and san jose so some changes there but the groups actually look like normal groups now because each one of the six groups has four teams but Let's look ahead to the game against Philadelphia. And, Franco, you and I um, talked about Philadelphia on the last pod. We both agreed that it would probably be the most difficult game that uh, Inter-Miami would play in the group stage. Um, 
And now they also have to play New York City FC, which is an equally strong team. New York City FC losing 1-0 to the Philadelphia Union. Alejandro Bedoya scoring the goal for Philadelphia, one where I think uh, Sean Johnson could perhaps uh, have done a little bit better Absolutely. Uh, to parry it away. It was a tight angle from uh, Bedoya, but I think they deserved the win, Philadelphia. NYCFC didn't look uh, that fluid, certainly not the team that a lot of people expect to be vying for MLS Cup honors. Um, so going into this game, given what we've seen from Inter-Miami and given what we've seen from Philadelphia Union, what are your thoughts? It's going to be a tough ask, man. It's going to be a tough ask. Inter-Miami obviously needs points after getting zero from the from the opener against Orlando City. Um, and now you're playing probably the two other best teams that were originally in, in Group A, teams that have established rosters. New York City FC obviously has had go, has going through a coaching change. Um but the roster that that's the roster that's in place has been together for, for a couple seasons now. Philadelphia, same boat and they're still with the same head coach that they've known for years. So these are gonna be two well oiled or well drilled teams that know exactly how they want to play and understand each other and have chemistry yes there will be rust as we saw in the union versus nycfc game as we saw in the miami's opener but the, the challenge is going to be much tougher because these are two teams that know each other and that have that chemistry advantage that inter miami is looking for that chemistry that, that inter miami is looking for so there's an advantage there in that aspect if, if we're just talking about the philadelphia union specifically it's a team that's very tough defensively. Even when they give up chances, they have a great goalkeeper in Andre Blake at the back. We saw that against NYCFC. He made a handful or at least a couple of very good saves to to preserve the shutout and the and the victory. So it's going to be a really tough ask. Maybe Inter Miami will have more of the ball than they saw against Orlando City. Not only because Philadelphia will allow them to have it, but because Inter Miami will probably have Rodolfo Pizarro in from the start. You have to imagine that Diego Alonso doesn't rest him or doesn't sit him um, from the beginning of this one, given that Miami needs points badly. So expect Miami to have more of the ball and play a different game. But again, it's going to be a battle. Philadelphia Union are a tough, tough team. And they have capable capable players of, of scoring, experienced players. Alejandro Bedoya, like you said, was made the difference today off a finish that I agree probably should have been saved. But Bedoya takes a shot uh, and, and tests the keeper, and it goes in for him. And then that that just that that ends up being the difference in a tight game. And that's what I think will ex- what we can expect. Another tight affair, another tight match. Don't don't see a lot of goals in this one. Um, but Inter Miami is going to have to be better with the ball and more clinical when it does get chances because it hasn't created many chances in, in, in over the course of these first three games of its inaugural season. So it needs to be clinical in the chances that it does produce. It needs to take better care of the ball if they're going to have a chance to get a result against the Union, which is what they need. Yeah, one thing that I like about the Philadelphia Union, and I went to see them play Atlanta in, in the playoffs, is that they can hurt you in many ways. Uh, up top, you get a guy like 
Prishbilko, who is a, a big striker. Uh, he's got a very good left foot. He can hit them from outside the box. He's good in the air. Uh, so that's something that the Inter-Miami is going to have to contend with. Uh, curious to see whether Il Signo starts a second game. I was surprised to see him start the, the, this game against NYCFC, uh, to be honest. But the system that uh, Jim Curtin, who you alluded to, has been there for quite a while. And uh, a few seasons ago, there were some questions as to whether he'd remain in Philadelphia, given how poorly uh, they were doing, uh, not getting into the playoffs. Uh, he's really devised a system that, that that blends youth and experience really well. You look at some of the young players, uh, the, the one who stands out is Brandon Aronson, who has a, a free role. He seems to have built a system to get the most out of him with with tough hitters like Jose Andres Martinez and, and, and Bedoya behind him. Uh, so I, I think the, the battle for that Inter Miami he's going to have to win is is in the midfield, uh, and if they're not able to contend with Philadelphia Union's uh, midfield, uh, they're going to get flooded with with aerial balls f- from the wings, and there you have Prisbilko who, who's just so good uh, in the air. Uh, it's going to be a really tough game, but again, it's it's about matchups, and and I think that. Inter Miami have the personnel to 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 withstand or to compete with with this Philadelphia Union team, but as you said, you know there's the familiarity factor, the fact that these teams these guys have played together, uh, the fact that they had a pretty good run in, in the playoffs uh, last season, and they are for me one of the contenders to win this entire tournament. So I, I, I've got a question for you. Uh, if you're Diego Alonso, Eric, what what's your midfield? You just said that the midfield is the key to the game. I agree it's it's going to be very important. I also think, like I said earlier, you're going to need someone to score goals up top. They're going to need to be clinical uh, against McKenzie and Elliott. But in, in the midfield, who do you start? Who do you go with? Because I wrote on SBISoccer.com, and like I said earlier on, on this show, I'm putting in Lee Wynn, man. I'm put, like, I get it's going to be a battle, and that might tempt Diego Alonso to go with Ulloa and Trap again, along with Pizarro. But... Uh, I, I think I think you need someone like Lee Wynn, and I know he's not necessarily he doesn't provide the the, the steel that Uyoa and Trap can bring. Um, but I think but he gives that, you the control and the possession. exactly, and that, so therefore you don't need as much defensive steel, and you don't need as much uh, uh, range and ability to break things up because you have more of the ball and you can take care of the ball better. You know, sometimes they say uh, a good off uh, the best defense is a good good offense. Well, I think that is a case to put in Lee Wynn, but that's that's my that's my viewpoint. I'm curious to hear what you think. What what would you do if you're Diego Alonso? Um, if you you know if you had the choice, yeah, you know what I, I agree with you. I thought that Lee Wynn in, in the camera role that he played uh, against um, uh, against Orlando, I thought he did very well. He was stringing play together. I thought Pizarro came into the game well as as well, but I thought Lee Wynn did more to to connect the different fa- uh, sectors: defense, midfield, mm-hmm. and, and attack. And I think he earned himself. Uh, a start. One of the big question marks is whether uh, Andres Reyes is going to be able to play in this game, right? Because if he's if he's unavailable, uh, does Alonso go with a with three center backs as opposed to two? So I, I'm actually going to say that he's going to go with two center backs in, in this game with a double pivot of Ulloa and um, and Will Trap. I think he's going to have Lee win ahead of those two guys, and then up top, I think he's going to go with um, Lewis Morgan. Um, I think. I would go Lewis Morgan, I would go with Pizarro, and I would go uh, with, since he scored a goal, um, and I thought he had a, 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 a decent game, I would go to uh, Godello. So uh, a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, uh, 
um, three-one uh, sort of sort of formation. So, you're, I think so you're you're dropping Pellegrini from from the lineup. In I'm, order. Dr- I'm dropping Pellegrini. I thought he was look. He was involved in the goal. Uh, quick thinking to give the ball back to Uyoa to square it. Uh, flash the ball across the six for Agudelo to put the tap in, but I wasn't convinced with his decision making on the ball, and I think it, it would be. I think Pizarro is definitely going to start, and if I have to pick between Pellegrini and Morgan, I'm going to go with Morgan because I was more impressed with the Scotsman. So I, I actually thought this was Pellegrini's best game in an Inter Miami jersey to date. Thought even though not everything, every move or every decision he made came off, he he was more involved and more active and, and capable of, of, of causing problems to the defense. So I'm not sure if, if I would drop him. I'm not sure Diego Alonso drops him, although you know, given his age and given that he is young and probably inconsistent at this point uh, in his career, given how, how young he is, it, it's possible that he drops Pellegrini. Um, but you know, so you're 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 doing you're doing Lee Win at ten and, and Pizarro on the left, right? Is that, yeah. is that correct? Okay. Yeah. Um, and listen, so when you, you touch on the center backs, and I'll, I'll I'll say if Reyes can't go, the good news for Inter Miami is that Roman Torres is back. He was suspended for this first game due to the red card he received against DC United. He will be back and available for this one. So you have a player with experience that has played with Nico Figal, not necessarily the best passer of the ball or the most technical center back on the Inter-Miami roster, but he gives you at least some comfort, some level of comfort that he can defend and get get that part of the job done at the back. Um, look, I, I would go with Lee Wynn. I think, like you said, he, his connection and his, his smoothness on the ball and the way he was able to, to understand himself with with uh, Rodolfo Pizarro when they both came in. That's something I also saw in preseason in the one game that 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 they played together in front of the public. Um, they understood each other because they're both players that like to have the ball at their feet and like to combine and looked for that interplay. And again, I saw it against Orlando City, and that is something Inter Miami needs more of. I would start Lee Win. I don't think Diego Alonso starts Lee Win. I don't. I'm not. I'm not convinced that that he gives him. Uh, the nod here, even though he has five subs, which maybe maybe plays a factor in, in into starting him. But I think, like you said, Uyo and Trap. Given that this will be a battle, I think Pizarro gets the nod at the ten. I think you're going to see Pellegrini and and uh, and uh, Lewis Morgan on the wings, and I think I think Julian Carranza will get the start up top. I don't think there was enough for Magadello on the day to to, to be convinced that he can do it uh as the nine and and something again i wrote and i want to touch on here before before we wrap things up because i know it's getting late juan agadello is not a number nine he has never been a number nine it's not who he is it's not his game he was misused in the game against orlando city i know it's tempting and a lot of coaches have tried to use agadello as a as a as a straight pure striker but it's not his game he likes to play with the ball at his feet, doesn't necessarily play in or make runs in behind the defense. He likes to combine. Not necessarily the the doesn't have the the goal scoring instincts. Yes, he scored against Orlando City, but it's that that's only a he's he's like a he's a hybrid. He's like a he's like a nine and a half. Like not a quite a ten, not quite a nine. Definitely not a winger. I mean, Bruce Arena used him last year at, at some center midfield. There's a reason why he's bounced around all these different positions. It's because he's just. He doesn't have a clearly defined spot. Right, and this and, was a point that I made to you yesterday as well when we were texting, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a guy who has suffered uh, because he doesn't have a, a designated position. He's, he's, he's versatile, but he's not particularly spectacular at any one thing 
in any one position. And, and, and that's sad because he obviously has a lot of talent. He's, and he's a confident player, and you can see that the way he controls the ball, moves the ball, looks to play. I don't see him as, as the nine. I think Carranza gets the start up top. Maybe can try to stretch that defense a little bit more. He's got a little more, bit more wheels to him. Um, and then at the back, obviously, Robles. I think Nilas gets the nod again. Uh, Figal, Reyes, and Ben Sweat. Yeah, I mean, not so different. I think yours is more likely to happen than mine, but uh, I was answering what I would do and not what Diego Alonso does. But I think I think you're right. I, I'm not sure I saw enough from Carranza uh, to start. Never having said that, he's coming back from an injury. Um, everybody was tired by the time he he he, he was put into uh, the game. And a tournament like this where players are just starting to get into shape, uh, two game, two consecutive games might be a little bit difficult for any player. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a good point for yeah. sure. I didn't, I didn't see much from him in this game either. This was his Inter-Miami debut. But I think because of the matchups, I think Diego Alonso might have to roll the dice on this one because he knows that Agudelo might not necessarily bring him that threat in the final third or that consistent threat in the final third that, that Inter-Miami needs more of. So I think he could go with Carranza and... Just, just, just to stress this out, I would start Lee Win over probably Will Trap um, if it were up to me. I'd, I'd keep the formation the, the exactly the same that I said four two three one with the same exact personnel. I would just swap in Lee uh, Lee Win for for Will Trap, but that's that's what I would do. And I don't get paid the the big bucks that Diego Alonso does, so we'll see what we'll see how it, how it plays out. It's only a few days away now, so um, another game to, to to look forward to and to get excited about and and to analyze and dissect so it's going to be it's going to be interesting because a lot there's a lot of it a lot of things riding on it for inter miami so uh, a lot, sure. lot of pressure and if, and if we learn anything about the first two games that they played in the regular season is that the second performance was a lot better than the first so that's something for um inter miami supporters to be optimistic and confident about all right we've come to the end of this show just a quick reminder that you can download um, the pod wherever pods are available you can leave us a review and you can follow the pod on every single social media platform uh, Franco adds a lot of videos um, basically getting you up to date with all the latest news uh, about inter Miami and analysis of that news yeah if you want to so if you want to if you want to see Diego Alonso's very short uh winded press conference where he was just so angry that he was answering things in in one sentence cliches go to Miami Total Football on uh YouTube and you can see it I uploaded the whole thing he didn't say very much he was clearly upset um but yeah we're, we're definitely bringing you all the news and and updates for, from the from the MLS's back tournament with regards to the Miami and Franco and I will return after the game against the Philadelphia Union. So with that, until next time, big soccer heads.